Good afternoon, good evening, and good night. This is Always Be Watching. It's our weekly discussion about what we've been watching. This is the podcast that encapsulates the very idea of two friends sitting down saying, hey, what have you been watching recently? What stuff have you been watching? Hey, what have you been watching? Hey, exactly. What about you? Hey. <laughs> My name's Dan Barrett. Joined here by Chris Yates. Hi, Dan. It's great to be here. Now, Chris and I have known each other for 35 years. About that, yes. Approximately. Yep. Things were like Give 15. or take 20. Yeah. Give or take 20 years. And through that entire time, we have no interest in what each other are like interested in or doing in life. No. But none. we do care about each other's TV recommendations. And very so this much. is what we're here to do. That's right. Um, I'm very excited to be here today because I've got a lot of fun things to talk about. Indeed. One of the things that we were discussing were series finales. That's right. So this week, the biggest TV show on the planet came to an end. Lego Masters. No. It's, oh. ca- it's called The Big Bang Theory. Oh, yeah, right. The Big Bang Theory. <laughs> yes, of course. So I thought instead of us just talking about new things that we should be recommending to each other, we might also just have a chat about our thoughts on the big series finale. Excellent. Finales. So we're going to talk about three shows that wound up their runs in the last week. We're going to talk about the aforementioned Big Bang Theory, which is actually the biggest show on the planet. Yeah, I'm not surprised. The, People are morons. The Magic Dragon Hour. It's called Game of Thrones. Yep, Dragon Times. Yep. Dragon Times. And also a little show called Veep. Mm. Yeah. One of those shows the two of us are a huge fan of. Yes. The other two are shows that we'll discuss. One of them I've watched. <laughs> anyway, Chris... Shall we get this thing started? Yes, let's get it started. And I want to start it by asking you, Dan, what have you been watching? This week, I watched a new program on Netflix called Still Laughing. Let's go to the cocktail party. According to a new study, seniors are the most frequent binge drinkers, followed closely by juniors, sophomores, and freshmen. Get over here quickly. There's a bunch of people here and they're all flying. How is this show like the Titanic? It gives me a sinking feeling. Now, Dan, I'm aware of the concept of laughing as a television show um, from the days of old, and I'm from your days of being alive <laughs> in 1968 through 73. Um, and I'm, uh, yes, it does predate my time on this planet a little, um, but of course, I'm aware of the concept. So, and I'm assuming this is something to do with that. Look, absolutely. So, if you don't know laughing. This was a show, as I said, ran from 1968 to 1973. It was based on old vaudeville-style humour, but the jokes themselves are really laden with innuendo and some really politically savage jokes. So if you think about that time in the US, 68 through 73, this is Vietnam War, this is um, hippies, this is flower power. It's a good time. Yeah, it's an interesting time. And Laugh-In was a show where it was essentially broadcast TV being as subversive as it was ever going to get, as transgressive as it would ever get. Do you really think, as in, it's, it hasn't gotten more subversive and transgressive since? No, I'm just saying that for the time, for the this time. is us being transgressive on screen. But when you watch it, it's like, no, these just kind of corny jokes. Yeah, sure. But if you think about it, like, while they probably weren't really being as uh, progressive as stuff that was happening in the coffee houses of the time and that kind of thing, what you probably are finding is that for broadcast TV, it was like pushing things forward a little bit. And then year by year, things just get pushed that bit further. So a couple of years after this, Saturday Night Live made its debut, and right. you can kind of see the lineage from a sketch show like this to your SNL to you know shows that follow. For sure. Anyway, Laugh-In um, obviously hasn't been on since 1973, 
But on Netflix recently, they staged a live event. It was an evening where they brought back all the Laugh-In cast that are still with us. I was going to say, surely not all. Not all. It's been a few years. But they brought back all the cast that are still with us and a whole bunch of celebrity friends to appear in sketches and remembrances of the show and whatnot. They recorded it, popped it on that little service called Netflix. I've heard of that. And the show is called Still Laugh-In. What do you think? Terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely shockingly bad. So... With Life In, I would have been absolutely there for it if yeah. it was just a straight-out retrospective of the show. Sure. I'd even have loved it, in fact, this is the preferable thing, if they just got old episodes of Life In, <laughs> right. put them on a service. <laughs> yeah, right. I w- that would have been fantastic. I would have lost weeks of True. watching Life I, In. Yeah, that would have been very interesting to see. Instead, what you've got is they brought back some of the cast of the show. So, Lily Tomlin was there. Yep, she's fantastic. Yeah. Very funny. Love Lily Tomlin. I've been a big fan for years. I don't really know from Life In that well. The best I know her from in terms of life in is she used to do a character on it where she was a receptionist, uh, like a telephone operator. Oh, yeah. Okay. Like, even if you don't know the thing, you've probably seen a photo of yeah, her. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I've seen her do that live in person. I saw Lily's Homeland at the oh, Brisbane wow. Powerhouse a few years ago. Far out. And she did that on stage. And I knew what it was from and I was just wrapped and, you know, it was fantastic. Uh, my partner, Sarah, was sitting there. Just she had no idea what she was watching. <laughs> it, would have seemed, it would have seemed strange and out of concept. Would have been very confusing. However, uh, Lily Tomlin's in this, and this is the show that also had Henry Gibson in it. You know Henry Gibson? Yes, absolutely. Uh, if you don't know him by name, you definitely know this guy by face. Goldie Horn was also one of the regulars on the show. Had a very large cast. Broadly, though, I'll admit, I don't really know most of the people that were in it, but I know a lot of the guest stars that appeared in it. So you'll see some of the clips of the show as this special goes on, and you'll see the broad range of very well-known faces that appeared on it. Sure. Now, when I talk about this show, I'd like to also just stress I've only watched the first 20 minutes because I could not get further than that. Wow. So, because Life In was this really transgressive show that had all this fresh talent on it, they decided to really replicate that experience with the live show by having the host, Neil Patrick Harris. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to watch it now. I'm writing it down. Here's the thing. I oh like Neil Patrick God. Harris. Of course you do. Who doesn't? But like, he's also, he's not the right person for this. Oh and he was paired God. up with Tiffany Haddish. And like, yeah, Tiffany Haddish, that is. Uh, she's kind of like the sort of it girl of the moment. Right. Uh, she was in a film called Girls Trip. She was very bawdy in that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But essentially, it's the two of them. And they just feel like the very safe version of what the show <sighs> was doing back in the day. So it's even missing the mark of trying to get a bit uh, interesting. Let, and Let me tell you how much this misses the mark. The rest of the show is just filled with celebrity cameos because right. most of the original cast are just too old, really, to be doing. You know, and and it, and it was a big so, thing with celebrity. Can I tell you who the first celebrity <laughs> they go to? Yes, please. It's a show, and this isn't someone who was on the original run right. of the series. This is someone of whom they thought this is some hot talent. This is who's going to lead this thing this for us. Here. Yep. The first celebrity you see, Jay Leno. <laughs> This is a show that was incredibly transgressive back in 68 through 73. And so they're populating it, not with the young and interesting like (laughs) talent that's around right now, but with people of whom were never even part of the show and are well past their use by date now. Oh my God, poor Jay. But yeah, that's that's ridiculous. Ridiculous. Beyond ridiculous. Beyond ridiculous. There's some kind of cool people in it, like Tony Hale makes an appearance in it. And there's a few people, but Tony Howe is probably one of the youngest people that appears Jesus on Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah, well, what a missed opportunity to do something interesting there. Well, then. Absolutely. And if you had sort of younger talents mixed in with like some old favorites and Lily Tomlin on stage and kind of have it as, uh, let's remember back to this great show that's kind of influenced all these things that have followed since. 
it's kind of cool. Put it in context, but it's not like any like Jay Leno is really adding anything to this <laughs> or anything. So, do you think that a uh, what, what uh, do you think that it would be possible to watch the old episodes and them to still be? Would they hold up today for a for an, a curious audience? Obviously, they're not going to be go to television. I would suggest much like TV generally doesn't age particularly well. Yeah. Okay. Particularly live yeah, sketch totally. and variety. I don't think it really holds up that well. But if you can watch it through nostalgic eyes. I think you can get a bit of a kick out of it. And if you're willing to come to the show on the show's terms, you appreciate this is a show from, insert year it's come from. Yeah. Totally cool. It doesn't really hold up with like modern day comedy. And the jokes on this are incredibly corny. Okay. But they're also, you know, there's moments in it that are well-regarded, like well-remembered historical TV moments. Like Nixon on there saying one of the classic lines from the show, sock it to me. Okay, and he didn't know the show and didn't understand the cadence right. that things had to be said in. <laughs> and so he's saying, Sock it to me? <laughs> Classic. Sock it to me? <laughs> that sounds a bit like McBain. Uh, all right, well, we're anyway, going to so so steer, steer clear of that one then. So I would suggest if you're interested in live variety and you've got a eye towards old classic shows like that, you probably want to give this a look just because it ha- like touches a few buttons. I don't think you're going to make it through the hour, though. Sure. Maybe you're better off um, pursuing uh, Hey, Hey, It's Saturday on YouTube. <laughs> no, no, no. Watch Still Laughing. Chris Yates, what have you been watching? Uh, not Hey, Hey, It's Saturday. We made that mistake about 15 years ago out of nostalgic, um, you know, uh, curiosity. And Were you in Brisbane when that aired? Because I did have a yeah. viewing party at my house. I'm pretty sure, yeah. No, no, actually, I wasn't, but I'm, I remember talking about it with you because it was... Were you at a different yes. viewing party? Was it different? Yes. It was a party of one horror. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was, it was just you time. and Daryl. It was a bad time in my life. Uh, it made all the worse for Hey Hey It's Saturday coming back. Anyway, it's been a few episodes. We haven't talked about Hey Hey It's Saturday. That's good. You asked me what I've been watching. I'm going to totally mix it up. I have been watching a documentary called Wu-Tang Clan of Mikes and Men. The special thing about Wu-Tang being eight or nine guys was each one was a rapper who can represent his own individual self within that crew. They were the example for all of us because we, we, we didn't really see that before. Like, more power to them and show love to them, respect them. You know, they're honorable. They gave us incredible skill. They gave us incredible poetry. And they gave us music that no one's touching to this day. It's timeless. So, do you know anything about this documentary series, Dan? Uh, I would presume that it features the, uh, what is it, the Wu-Tang? <laughs> oh, you try so hard to pretend you're not hip. <laughs> Everyone knows how hip you are to this to the lingo of the streets. Um, yes, this is a four-part... Yes, tell me about the Wu-Tangers. <laughs> this, this is a four-part uh, documentary series, I believe, uh, from the uh, network Showtime. You might have to look that up while I'm talking, Dan, to make sure people don't, don't give people the wrong it's information. To verify, sure. Um, one of those American-style channels uh it is a uh, retrospective we've come to it's about 25 years i think it was 25 years last year since the release of enter the wu-tang 36 chambers of the debut album that um changed hip-hop forever and made uh stars out of the nine um rappers and this is excuse me senator (laughs) Uh, i i will confirm it was in fact the showtime network excellent um uh, and so we're seeing a lo- we're seeing a little bit of history uh, celebrating this um, unique uh, act, and include not uh, not limited to, but we had a um, 
an amazing show here at the Sydney Opera House last year where they came and the whole crew, the surviving members, did a, uh, a week's worth of shows there. Couldn't get a ticket myself, um, but I'm sure I heard, I heard great things about it. I had a great time. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You had a great time watching the Wu-Ting. Um, <laughs> the Tungers. This is, it's really interesting. Like, it's kind of, for someone, I'm pretty familiar with the uh, history of the group. So, it's kind of a, um, there's a lot of things that I've heard before, but it's nice seeing them sort of told in a different way. Uh, The interviews with the group are very, very good. Um, and they are definitely trying to spread their time around the different members rather than just focusing on uh, the RZA and maybe Method Man or whoever the most famous ones are. Well, I mean, um, those are the two that I know, so I'll confirm those are the most <laughs> famous ones. Well, they're both the ones that make movies, right? So, for anyone like myself who don't really know the Wu-Tang Clan that well, would I still get something out of this? Or I, is it really a fans-only kind no, of No, no, I think it's like, if you've got to be interested, I guess. But yeah. um, no, it's probably less for fans and more for people who have a, who have a passing interest in it. And especially, I, I guess, if you're interested in the, um, you know, there's a lot of um, uh, crossover with the kind of uh, the Hong Kong uh, Kung Fu movies and that kind of stuff. Um, a lot of that gets touched on. Um, I've, I've uh, Full disclosure, I've only watched the first, first of four episodes, uh, which is most of the, you know, the origin story and stuff. So, but there's been some um, four fans there is a lot of amazing footage that I'd never seen before. Heaps of really young footage of um, of Rizza and um, Jizza and Old Dirty like hanging out before they were the Wu Tang Clan, and because um, those three did a lot together, uh, just in you know the local scene. So some really cool like local cable footage of them on um, you know talking about rap music basically it's really it's 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 uh very well produced it's very interesting it comes ahead of there's another wu-tang clan series coming along soon which is a uh you know a dramatized biopic style remake of the history of the wu-tang clan which i'm probably a little bit more excited about because those things tend to be hilarious and um you know just a lot of fun watching people pretend to be famous people yeah. Um, now, this is timed with a new EP coming out as well, right? Oh, I didn't know that. There you go. You're Sorry, teaching me came things. came up from the article here. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Look, to be fair, you know, the Wu-Tang Clan's uh, output in the last little while, especially anything under the Wu-Tang label, has been um, probably not as good or as important as anything that came out at the beginning. But lots of the rappers are still doing great stuff. Inspector Deck's been doing some incredible stuff. Um, Ghostface has always done incredible stuff. So, like, there's still a lot of good things happening there. It's pretty hard to get excited about actual Wu-Tang Clan releases these days, because um, uh, yeah, because they've, they're they're a little bit off the rails, and you know, this is an interesting time for them too, because they've kind of gotten past the there was the the drama around the Martin Schlecky uh, debacle where they tried to make this album that there was only one copy of, and um, it was they were trying to get it into a museum and stuff, but it was bought by a you know pharmaceutical. Um, douchebag who then you know made jokes about how he was going to wreck it to, and like. Uh, there's a lot of fun stuff to what read about there. Back. Hopefully we'll get to that. But so, you know, it's been a weird few years and, and the Riz has been concentrating a lot more on making movies um, and the movie industry in general than he has kind of making music. So it'll be interesting to see the direction that it takes after this. But I mean, he is just an incredible hearing him talk about anything. Like there's a lot of celebration around his sort of wisdom and things, a lot of which is pretty silly um, in retrospect. But the actual... Um, you know, he's he's just an incredible. He's an incredible artist. He's an incredible creator. He's been doing amazing things, sort of forever, uh, in lots of different fields. So to sort of see him um, really get into the 
uh, history of the group is amazing. So, yes, highly recommended, of course. It's called uh, Wu-Te Clan of Mikes and Men, which is a terrible name, I think. But anyway. Well, because it's uh, the Steinbeck pun. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it... Um, and it's it, on microphones instead of mice. Yeah, exactly. Like, come on. And um, it airs on Showtime in the US. I'm not sure if it's going to come out here yet or how we'll see it out here yet, but I'm sure it will get a wider release because of the interest in the group at the moment, especially. Yeah, I'm definitely keen to give that a look. I think you'll like it. So, Dan, at the start of the episode, you mentioned that we were going to talk about some of the finale, some of the shows wrapping up. Yeah. Not just for the season, for all time. Like, for good. So, the question is usually, what have you been watching? And the answer is the last episode of a whole bunch of TV shows this last week. And not just, you know, just run-of-the-mill shows that I've been kind of half-invested in, but these have been some of the big defining shows of the last, you know, five to ten years. Absolutely. Uh, so let's maybe kick off with the big one that everyone's been talking about, which is Game of Thrones. You're not a Game of Thrones viewer. No, I'm not. Now, what's your general thoughts on the overall reaction that the finale's got? It's been fascinating. I've read some really interesting takes. There's been so many takes. All the takes. Uh, the hot, Chris. The, the hot. <laughs> the main one that I found was really interesting is, yes, there's this whole, there's this, you know, uh, petitions for people to remake episodes of things they don't like, which is a, a remarkable kind of shift in public thinking from just like, I hated that it sucked. I'm going to tell my friends it sucked that I'm never going to watch it again and I'm going to avoid everything those people do forever because they suck. To, um, I didn't like that. The makers of that particular thing owe it to me to make it in a way that suits my tastes better. And this is strange. Like, it is strange. And just the entire idea where a fan's like, well, this hasn't been the ideal finale for me, therefore it's wrong. Like, what happens when they go back and suddenly, like Warner Brothers, who owns HBO, suddenly says, you know what, fans, you're right. Oh Let's God. go and remake this final season. Here's, you know, uh, what is it, $15 million an episode. So we're probably talking, you know. Here's, Seriously. Here's $150 million. Let's go and make six episodes of TV again. And then they get to the end. But then I watch it and I think, wait a second. I didn't like those six episodes. Warner Brothers, go and make the six episodes again. I want something that I will enjoy. When will it end? How many versions do they have to make? And I did the math on this and it's 36. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> how ridiculous is it really? It's very strange. And it's, it's also like just this kind of shift in the way. I mean, we've seen it obviously with Star Wars. We've seen it with lots of stuff. Um, I feel like, you know, our kind of generation, and I'm talking, you know, plus 30, uh, generously to myself, um, to include you as well, Dan, Um, you know, like we certainly had a big bash of that with the, um, you know, with the Star Wars, with the Phantom Menace, with the the prequels of Star Wars, you know, it was, we were all pretty obnoxious and um, horrible about that at the time, but but in defense, they really sucked. Yeah, they weren't good. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and there were this, there was this massive amount of hype around them, and so it was something that we were really, you know, that it, it felt like it had been a long time. It felt like we'd been a long way. But I can't remember even then there being this kind of perception of like, oh, well, that one should be scrapped, and we should, like, it was easy enough just to go like, oh, well, Star Wars sucks now, and like walk away from it. That's how I felt that yeah. everyone sort of reacted at that time anyway. Or at least use that as your <laughs> conversational point by which you base many friendships on it for <laughs> many right, years to come. That's right. And we're still getting we're still getting mileage over today. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's a very it's a very very odd thing, and it makes me glad that I haven't been a part of it. To be honest, my overall takeaway with the show, and this is going to mean nothing to you because you haven't really been watching it, is that a lot of people keep on complaining about the fact that it was only six episodes for this final run of the season. And that uh, they've really felt it need another like three or four episodes to right. fully sort of flesh out the season. 
I kind of think that's bunkum. Okay, my thinking is the entire series has been largely about a group of people, desperate people spread out across this land of Westeros. And the entire show is about people making journeys and their timelines all syncing up so that they're in one place together. Sure. And so a lot of the character growth and development and time that you can really spend with a lot of the characters are while they're walking along or on horseback, traveling like large distances to find a thing. What we've seen over this season and the season that came before it, so both were truncated short seasons, Mm -hmm. is the culmination of that. So we're not actually in the period of character growth and exploration anymore. We're in a final act, which is everything that's come before it has been giving us all the information we need for these six episodes to give us a narrative conclusion. Sure. And so I kind of get a little bit annoyed with this idea of, oh, they're just like speeding everything up now. And it's like, well, that's because it's the finale. This yeah, is Yeah, how long do you want it to go for? This is exactly it. It's like, well, you know, they could spread it out longer, but then that's really just what we've been seeing until this point. This is them actually exploring something new because we haven't really seen TV like this before. No, no, no. Like, this is, is actually different. TV on a very broad canvas where yeah. they've got an ending in mind and very few shows get the chance to actually end as intent as they'd like yeah, to Yeah, well, that's what I was going to say. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's like... It's actually, it's not a new thing that, like, um, you know, the finale of a series sucked. Oh, well, absolutely, because TV shows aren't designed to end. Yes, I've, I heard you mention this uh, recently, and, I've, yeah, and so, I had never thought about it that way. Because when you watch a TV show, like, the episode ends, and then the credits roll, but the idea is that you'll tune in next week, and your friends will be back there, and you'll go on another adventure with yes. them. And even things that are serialized, like, it's still with the engine in mind that they just keep on making until they decide they don't want to make it anymore, and then they just slap dash an ending on the end, and Totally, and that's, that's it. Yeah, that's been the tradition. That's exactly it. But that last episode's never good. Because the rhythms of it are completely different to every other episode. Yeah. Because it's actually been written to end. Yes, that's right. And so, like, a statement's supposed to be made about what the show's been about, and it's kind of putting a cap on it all. Sometimes there's a very natural ending. Like, one of the best final episodes is M.A.S.H. Oh, yeah, M.A.S.H. is a very good ending. And there's a very obvious sort of end to that, which is that the war's over, and they all go home. Yeah, in their... um, Yeah, that's right. They did have a nice way out of it. But that's not to say... uh, You know, I recently saw the end of um, Seinfeld again, because I was watching something (laughs) on YouTube, and it popped up, and it was like... It was a... um, this was not that long after, and it was a uh, a roundtable of the five of them all sitting around talking about it. Yeah, and um, it was really interesting. It was before Curb Your Enthusiasm started, and it was before a few other things. And they were still very much in the mood of celebrating uh, how good a job they'd done on the finale, <laughs> despite what people were saying. And they were like, you know, showing cutting to flash flashes of it and stuff. And they played the sort of whole last five minute sequence, which is just so bad. And like, you know, to think that there would have been that level of... There was definitely... I mean, I think... I'm pretty sure everyone was aware of how terrible it was at the time, but it was kind of, you know, it was allowed to be terrible because it was, like you say, this... You know, it wasn't going to be just another episode. They had to try and do something with it. At least they tried to do something stupid with it. You know, as horrible as it was to watch, doesn't really matter. It's over. Let's leave it alone. Also, for something like Seinfeld, it's a show which, obviously, every episode has a narrative structure. There's three storylines that usually come together at the end. But they're not sort of strong narratives. It's really a engine that allows the characters to have funny moments and character engagement. But the final episode is one where the story is structured to such a point where it actually needs to be reflective of the show as a whole. Yeah. And to give a, you know, just put a wrap a bow around <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And it was, so it was just kind of like nice. Like, how do you even do that with Seinfeld? Yeah, and I think the thing that sort of 
you know, there was a nice idea, but it really failed to sort of go like, no, these people are really terrible people. Yeah. And let's like punish them for that. But like also for the show, like how else do you end Seinfeld? So like you could do an ending like that, but if you try to do something which is just giving a sense of like a character farewell, what do you do? Like George gets a new job yeah, in Chicago yeah, yeah, and exactly. the last episode no, no. is Jerry saying goodbye to George. Absolutely. Like there's no real way to kind of do it. Yeah. Like so at least they tried to do something and it, it might have been terrible, but at least it was something, right? Like, exactly. Uh, yeah, no, I totally agree. Yeah, I just don't know what a final Seinfeld is. No, and they obviously didn't either. And I think yeah, Elaine it shows. But Elaine and Jerry decide to get together and make <laughs> a go of it. See, nothing like that would work. Yeah. Elaine's pregnant. I don't. They gotta have a baby, guys. You I, gotta see the baby. I don't know how much more you want to talk about Game of Thrones. I'm obviously okay, well, really this, bored with it, and no, that's why I'm is, trying to change the topic. <laughs> this is actually a good segue to the Big Bang Theory. Well, oh, I thought it was going to be a segue to Veep for obvious reasons, but no, I'm, okay. I'm interested. Big Bang Theory. Make this work. Okay, no, it's, it's gonna be fine. <laughs> So the thing to keep in mind with the Big Bang Theory is that for all the cultural cachet of your Game of Thrones, the final episode of it, I believe, rated slightly under what the Big Bang Theory did. Right, yeah. And generally across the board, the Big Bang Theory consistently rates like well and truly above what Game of Thrones has ever done. <laughs> yes. Okay, it's a general popular sitcom. Yeah. Okay, and while it may, you may see the occasional Bazinga t-shirt... <laughs> But, you know, beyond that, like, it's got no real cultural cut through. No, it doesn't. Yeah. But people love the program. Yes, they absolutely do. Like, it's, yeah. So it's a fond part of a lot of people's weekly TV viewing. Obviously, not really to our tastes. No. I'll admit, like, the first, like, maybe two seasons of it, I was watching it sort of semi regularly and it wasn't really horrendous. But I sat down and watched the final episode of Big Bang Theory because I was curious to know what they were going to do with it and what people are saying goodbye to. Sure. So I watched it, and what I found fascinating is that the comedic rhythms of the show now completely echo what Seinfeld were doing in the last couple of years of that show. Remember how there weren't really jokes in Seinfeld for those last couple yes, of years? Yes, absolutely. And most of those episodes don't really work particularly that well. And they're really, really short. Like, the scenes will run for, like, about, you know, 35 seconds. Yeah, and have, like, really hard edits, and yep. then it goes through. And it seems to be just a way to mask, like, the lack of jokes like there's no real punchlines or anything anymore yeah you're relying a lot more on the characters it's and the characters the audience engagement with the show yeah and that's really what the propulsion of the thing is yeah, and i'm not totally. saying there's really anything necessarily wrong with that but it's not really premium tv it's just it's television yeah and that's fine but big bang theory totally became that show yeah originally wow. in the show like i remember it was extended periods where there's character engagement and there's actual jokes being delivered not the case at all like for this last thing it's <laughs> yeah, just right. short little moments there's a laugh track which is you know beyond end. oh yeah yeah it's interesting like the last couple of seasons because of course i think we had no um larry david i'm talking about seinfeld again because i got nothing because i don't remember him in big bang theory <laughs> um but uh you know you're dead right about that one of the things that i really like but you'd be really surprised when you look back a lot of the really famous episodes are actually from those last two seasons like there's some really um like the festivus i think is the last season and yeah yeah. so there are good episodes in that and there's bottle. also a real heavy um they really con- there's a real heavy concentration on Elaine in those last few series too. They really take her character into interesting places, and a lot of the really funny storylines are kind of born out of Elaine as in this sort of you know late uh, late early adulthood kind of trying to work out where she is and where she's going in life, and it's well, really it's be- cool. It's because there was the period where they kept on trying to give them a new job every season or two yeah. to try <laughs> yeah. to find something that would sort of stick for it. Okay, and I think that was just Larry David getting bored with himself a little yeah, bit. Yeah, absolutely. But like Larry David, during his tenure on the show, he'd put George as like one of the people working at the Yankees. Yes. Okay, which is a very New York joke and that all kind of works. Okay, but remember in the, I think, final season, end up taking George out of that and put him into... Oh, oh God. I, I think they used to... I'm trying to think what the actual company did. I want to say that they made like electric chairs for people to get around in. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. I can't this remember. It was, it was a different organization. I remember we had like a different boss there. And, yeah, 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 yeah. But like none of that really worked. But the stuff that worked with the new workplace was Elaine's workplace because yeah. they had her working for Jay Peterman. That's right. Okay. And it was just inherently you had a funny actor playing him. And I think everything just kind of gelled well around the Elaine character. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, yeah. I'm looking it up because I just can't deal with not knowing. All 14 of George... Costanza's jobs. Here we go. Yeah. What was his initial job? Do you remember? <laughs> I, I know you're looking at a screen right uh, now. But... No, no. Look, I can't remember at all. I believe he was a real estate agent. Oh, how good's that? Yeah. Anyway, Chris, stop looking at your phone. All right, sorry, Chris. That's bad podcasting. Bad podcaster. Bad. <sighs> Whatever. Anyway, we can look in the comments and I'll talk about what George. Big Bang Theory. Just letting you know, at the very end, it turns out they won a Nobel Peace Prize. Oh, great. Oh, sorry, it was a Nobel Prize in, like, science stuff. Oh, yeah, excellent. Yeah. I'm, I'm thrilled to hear that. Yeah, whatever. Good on them. But anyway, Chris. Do you know, um, what's his name go back to? Did he do, he wouldn't have done Roseanne as well then when it came on. Uh, Johnny Galecki. Um, Johnny Galecki. Absolutely, he's part of Roseanne. Was he part of Roseanne in he, the... He's not one of the regular characters, but, like, he's recurring through... Yeah, right. Oh, I mean the reboot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. Oh, there you go. Yeah, I and I, I think he's expected to be part of the Connors. Is the Connors like, still a thing that's happening? Yeah. Wow, there you go. And in fact, I got like an episode extension. There's going to be more episodes of the Connors this year. Fascinating. Yeah. Um, um, did you see how I managed to talk about every single television show that's ever been made except for the ones you were talking about? And also Veep finished this week. Chris, that brings us to the end of the podcast. <laughs> you man. want to talk about Veep? Let's get in there. All right, let's get in here. So where to start? I didn't realize that there was a final season of Veep. Such has been the lack of talking about this program and on the um, regular uh, non-TV nerd channels that I follow. It really flew under the radar and it began to dawn on me. Maybe this has been the case for the show all along. Maybe. It has, yeah. I'm and not it's a sure. shame because this is probably TV's funniest show. Oh my god! And the last season has just been um, absolutely beyond all my expectations. Now, what's different about this last season is the show has always deliberately placed itself in a world which had nothing to do with real world politics. Yes. So it was really playing with the institutions that carry politics, but it wasn't really making fun. There was no analogs of oh, that character is supposed to be clearly like Senator McCain. No, like, no, no, no. There's exactly. none of that stuff. And like no real life politicians play themselves in a cameo or any of that sort of garbage. No. So, and we've seen, obviously this season, it, 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 dif- it strayed from that a little bit. Well, I think it strayed from it completely where the last season, and this came because Jill Louis-Dreyfus had cancer. And so oh, I had yeah, to wait right. for her to get better. Oh, that's and, why there was a break. I didn't realize. And so that. there has not been a single episode of Veep until this last run, like this last batch of episodes while there's been Trump in power. Right. And I think the idea of doing a satire about, um, you know, Washington, while essentially all the norms have been completely just run over and backed over with, you know, pickup trucks, you just can't do that anymore. So I think this year was a very deliberate effort where a lot of the characters became analogues or at least like imbued senses of quality of people of whom you do know. Yeah, exactly. And I think that they did it in such a good way that it was like, you know, it would have been very, very easy to just have her up against a Trump kind of character. Yeah. But uh, they were just so much smarter than that in the way that they pulled it off in the end. Um, The way that they sort of alluded to what was happening on the way through are we going to talk about are we are we doing a spoiler free version okay, or are we so going to talk about the end this is the last thing we're talking about on the podcast if you haven't watched the finale of veep okay and you do plan to which you should which you should maybe tap out yeah and we'll now. talk to you next week yeah it's been a pleasure <laughs> see you later okay but if you want to just have an unfettered adult conversation about veep 
then we're just going to keep, keep barreling forward. Excellent, because we've deliberately not talked to this about each other, not talked to each other about this yet, and it's killing me because I just there's so much to say. Okay, and yeah, we don't have a lot of time left in this podcast, so we're going to do it in a very quick, economical fashion. So the evolution but, of Jonah. Well, let's talk about Amy first. All right, we get to sure. Jonah. So Amy, I was really quite amazed with the way that within one episode, she just suddenly took on all the characteristics of Kellyanne Conway. Yes. And in a way that made perfect sense for the character. Yeah, absolutely did. And um, I think that she, as an actor, did such a great job of um, of, of making that transition believable. Incredible. And, yeah. And the motivations for it were very clear. The uh, reason why, she, you know, the reason why it happened, the reason why it had to happen was very clear. And it wasn't really until the very last moment of the season where she maybe regretted some of her decisions that she had made up until that point. And she's like a broken person. It's great. Yeah, I, it just it 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 automatically just mentioning it then took me to that very last scene where um she's basically um begging. She's literally begging Selena Myers. She's on the floor on her <laughs> knees, not to make who has become her candidate, Jonah Ryan, the vice president of America. And Julia Louise's um, reaction to that was just so unbelievably strong, scary, terrifying, and just, I guess, in a way for me, watching it really made sense of the entire political process and how these decisions get made and how awful it really is. Yeah. And it's all just personal politics. Just insane. Just so good. Selena Meyer taking the presidential candidate to a foreign country where then suddenly she had to hide in an embassy <laughs> and she shifts from being Selena Meyer effectively into becoming uh, what kind of his name right now? <laughs> oh, Assange. Australia's own Julian Assange. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That was very funny. I hadn't even thought of that, which is ridiculous that I hadn't, <laughs> thought, hadn't made that connection. But yes, of course, that's what they're doing there. Yeah, um, and that was brilliant. Uh, Jonah is probably the show's MVP. Absolutely. And probably from the beginning, really. Yeah. But definitely this, I mean, you know, unquestionably this there, season. There was absolutely nothing funnier happening in my life than watching oh Jonah God. every week. It's just so unbelievably good. What I thought was incredible was that he wasn't a, like, it wasn't like it was a like for like with any politician that's around at the moment, but the complete ridiculousness of so many politicians yeah. under the world of Donald Trump. You've got Jonah who suddenly goes from being a Washington, like, lobby, well, he's kind of like working as a, like, Beltway insider. Yeah. So suddenly being like this sort of yokel from the Midwest of whom's wearing <laughs> suspenders and big glasses. It was perfect. And it was just so well, again, that transition was just so beautiful and made so much sense and was just such a fantastically uh, clever way of looking at that stuff through, like you say, through a likable, horrible, familiar <laughs> character. And, it's, and, it, and it really also, you know, made it really, it was really interesting in the sort of the way that these dis despicable people do appeal to the masses a lot of the times and um, you know he definitely he definitely did that now there's a character that I think got the short shrift this season which is Reed Scott's character Dan Egan yes I knew you were going to say that like they didn't really have anything for him to do this I season know, and he just like he got probably the like funniest laugh out loud joke from me which was when he tries picking up a woman who also turned out to be the woman that had just looked after the abortion of his ex-girlfriend Amy yeah 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 to which he replied you'll have to be more specific was that the joke <laughs> that yeah, that was pretty good. Uh, brutally funny. Okay, but they didn't do enough with him. Like, he just kind of petered out a little bit by the yeah, end. Yeah, I agree. Totally. Okay, but they did bring him back big time for what was interesting about the final episode of the show, which yeah. is Selena gets serious about her campaign. 
Okay, and just as she suddenly got her mojo back and she is gunning to become president, you know that she will, they do a time jump to yes. her being dead <laughs> and everyone turns up to her funeral and it's how her legacy is really like transpired over the years. This is why I'm hoping people that haven't watched the show have turned out because the time jump was such an amazing surprise for me. I yeah. thought it was just so fantastic. I had no idea it was coming and it was just... It was just awesome. It reminded me, of course, of the Parks and Recreation one, which we had a few years ago. Parks which was and Rec, only a few- they did that over like an entire episode. It was so schmaltzy. I know. It was and schmaltzy, and it was, but, it, but it still yeah. worked for me, and I still liked the way they ended that show, especially compared with The Office, which I just saw the end of recently as well. Maybe we should have done a whole special about that. Yeah, maybe finale. we should. But I like that Veep, it really just had like a five-minute coder at the end where yeah. you just saw what happened to everyone. And it was kind of like when you're watching a movie and they have like the credits come Where up and they the text now? over the end of where they've been up to. Animal House. Yeah. Yeah. And the, um, it also did some, it also helped with that political process, I think, too, because it was like, you know, this, it was, uh, Selena was so all consumed with this thirst and greed for power and she became maniacal by the end of it and then in the and then in the um flash forward you see that it was like it, what it was one term it was a short very short unsignificant insignificant presidency and midway through her funeral they care so little about selena Mai and her you know her role as a u.s president that the news breaks that tom hanks has died and then suddenly they cut away from the funeral and it becomes about a tom hanks yeah so good um and that's you know and that's the kind of i think that really helped illustrate just how um you know how selfish how kind of insignificant that this that this whole ridiculous game is and 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 how you know for the people involved uh it's it's everything it's all or nothing it's going to be the end of the world or the beginning of the world and all you know like and then um something that she just did such horrendous things to get to the and and i like that too you know there was some really um, there was some really dodgy stuff that she did in that last season, which you hadn't really seen her a lot from her um, in the in the past. She'd always been a pretty, cons- you know, not a conservative politician, but she, she'd always been a pretty decent politician. Yeah, but um, she completely sold everything out. Everything out, you know, and that was and <laughs> she gave back to bets to the uh, to China, <laughs> which was necessary for her to become, same sex marriage, which was necessary. That's right. That was in the fl- that was my favorite part of the flash forward. Maybe permanently g- getting rid of same sex marriage. But the, um, you know, to, to then show how... Oh, it- was that what they said in the final one that <laughs> yeah. never came back? That was her legacy, was that she'd permanently <laughs> banned it. That show's dark. Yeah, so like, yeah, and for it to get to that, uh, you know, and for it to show that it was just all for basically nothing, you know, for like extending her career by three years. And uh, Meanwhile, you've got her counterpoint in the show as well, being the Sam Richardson character, Richard, yeah, of whom yeah, is yeah. like the world's nicest character and has bumbled his way through the entire show. <laughs> yeah. But in this final season, he keeps on finding himself being elected to political office and then finding himself like promoted to a higher level of office <laughs> to a point where you suddenly see in a flash forward that he became president eventually and was the most successful and beloved president <laughs> of all time. Which is just perfect as well. And gives some hope for the idea that maybe, uh, you know, maybe there is some hope for us all in the horrible political landscape that we all seem to be trapped in at the moment. Yeah. So as we finish this podcast and myself and Chris walk out into the night, as I explain to him who Mayor Pete Buttigieg is, <laughs> we're going to wind out this podcast. Yeah. Okay. This has been Always Be Watching. Always Be Watching. Finale uh, special. Finale special. You can find us on the web, alwaysbewatching.com. Uh, also, if you've never checked out the Always Be Watching Facebook group, here's the opportunity now that you know that it exists. Yes. It's a community, yeah. right? It is a community. It's a real community. Some yeah. of us to see, even see each other in real life. Yeah. Not many of us. No. Not many. I mean, there's a lot of TV to watch. 
But anyway, Chris, it has been a pleasure. If people want to find you on the internet, how do they do that? Um, just don't. Okay, fair enough. Uh, people can find me at the Dan Barris on all of your social media platforms. Uh, that's kind of all you need to know. I reckon. Yeah, if you like this podcast, leave reviews, helps people find us. Big thanks to Vape Dads, the fine band that created the little uh, jaunts, the jaunty tune. <laughs> and thanks to uh, the studios of 2SER for letting us record here in beautiful Sydney. Indeed. Anyway, let's get out of here. Chris, it's been a pleasure. Same, Dan. See ya. Let's get out. <laughs>